The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. And I get to follow that. Um, I've got no Great Commission remix. Uh, maybe next week. Maybe next week. Go and make disciples of all the nations, of all the nations. I don't know. I'm going to stick with preaching. Uh, that's probably a better gift. But um, let's look at Matthew chapter 28. And uh, as we turn there, uh, let me just, I'm going to go ahead and give some announcements now um, and maybe have to clarify uh, at the end of the service, but uh, we have pretty big changes coming. Um, this is our last uh, two-service Sunday, and we are going to a 10:30 service next week. Um, and it is we are not doing so because we think that COVID is over. Uh, we are doing so um, because we feel like um, enough of us have been vaccinated. To, to do that um, well. We are still requiring masks, and the reason for that is that we want to provide more opportunity and information for more of us to be vaccinated. Uh, obviously, we're not requiring vaccination, uh, but next Sunday at 9.30, we're going to have a seminar led by some of our doctors on um, just the, um, the vaccination itself, how it was created, um, a lot of people say, well, it just, it was created overnight. There's no way it's been tested. Uh, we're going to answer all those questions, or the doctor's going to answer all those questions. Um, and, and so come with your questions, come with your concerns, and we'll bounce them off um, of our uh, medical community. And uh, then we are going to actually facilitate a time for vaccinations at the Church Health Center and provide rides um, for those um, desirous of receiving both you know, the first dose and then the second dose. Um, and it's very important that you finish. If you take the first one, it's very important you get to the second one. So, so that's what we're going to do, and we're going to uh, keep working together as a congregation in that light. Um, we are also going to have, although obviously we're going to have more chairs in here, we are going to have a section that um, will allow for social distancing. Um, if that is uh, still your conviction or if you've not received the vaccine, um, and, um, and at some point, we are going to lift the mask mandate at Downtown Church uh, and encourage those that have not been vaccinated to continue to wear them. Um, as, um, and, and, yeah, and we'll have more on that. And then on the 13th, we're going to reopen the nursery. Um, Jesse Harvey and uh, Marissa Benedict are working hard. We need volunteers. So you'll see an announcement uh, at some point during the service of Jesse's email address. Um, but, but we are moving towards some real important steps. We're not going to see Sunday school again until August, uh, but we are going to see full uh, Sunday school, and we're excited about that. Um, I believe that's all for that announcement. So uh, let's go down to Matthew 28 and verse 16. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we uh, come this morning needy. We come this morning um, desperate to hear your word. Uh, Father, we come this morning hurting. We come this morning sad. We come grieved. Uh, Some of us may come angry or sad. Some of us may come numb to life itself. But we need you to speak into all of it. Father, we need you to come and we need you to do what only you can do. And that is give us eyes to see and ears to hear. The old truth, the ancient truth, the eternal truth of your word in new and different ways. And so, God, would you come by your spirit and do that? Be your teacher through your word. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Don't leave us as we are. Transform us. So, God, you know my need for you, and I know my need for you as well. Speak through me. Um, Overcome me that we might see you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Rachel and I, as, as some of you know or may have seen on the realm, uh, Rachel's really favorite uncle um, passed away this past week, or, yeah, about a week and a half ago. And we went to the funeral in Little Rock on Thursday, um, excuse me, Tuesday. And, um, and a lot of things were said. It was really glorious. He was a strong believer. He had an impact on a lot of people. Um, but I, it was interesting to me as I listened because some were making a lot about his last day. He actually died of a heart attack. Uh, he and his wife were literally standing by their bed about to just go to bed, go to sleep, and he died of a heart attack. And uh, tragic. And yet many were talking about his last day and even his last words. Why? Because last words are important. These are the last words of the Gospel of Matthew, and it's not by mistake. It is by design. Um, In fact, all of Matthew has been building to this one point where Jesus would would take his disciples, gather them together, and, and say these words. He would give this command and give this promise. All authority has been given to me, heaven and on earth. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. This is where the book of Matthew has been building up, and yet we, it's tempting, and in fact, I would almost say that most sermons that we hear about the Great Commission isolate verses 16 through 20, or really 19, or um, 18 through uh, 20, apart from the rest of the book. So this morning, I want to make very clear that from the beginning of Matthew to the end, he has had an agenda. And we see it right from the beginning. We see it in the first 17 verses of chapter 1. Why is he giving us this genealogy? Because he just loved, you know, looking into the genealogy of people? No. 
because he was proving that Jesus was the son of David. He was the direct descendant of the son of David. And why was that important? Because the king was to come from the house and the lineage of David himself. The one who would sit on the throne of David forever, whose kingdom would never end. And so even from the first 17 verses, Matthew is saying, your king has come, Israel. The king of kings, the Lord of lords has come. He, he quotes Matthew, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 7.14, and, and he is Emmanuel, God with us. He gives the account of, of um, um, the, the angel Gabriel coming uh, to Joseph and saying, you are to name him Jesus. Why? Because it's a cool name? No. Because he will save his people from their sins. From beginning to end, we have Matthew. He is intentionally, he is an intentional author, and he is providing to us a, a, a message. And we see this um, um, in uh, chapter 9, verse 35 of Matthew. He says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogue, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. There's that king, and there's that kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. What is the gospel of the kingdom? The gospel of the kingdom is that a king has come to reverse everything that we read about in Genesis chapter uh, 3 and everything that we've experienced in our lives personally. Jesus has come to reign over sin and death so as to reconcile God and man, to bring them together again, to reconcile us to God, to give us living relationship with God himself. And one day, someday, he is going to heal creation too. And we see that. He is healing. He is casting out demons. He's healing every disease and every affliction. Why? Because he is revealing what, what the world is to be like under the reign of King Jesus. Because one day, someday, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. His kingdom reign will extend perfectly and, and manifest completely. And this world as we know it will be there for us to encounter God at personally through every means, through eating, through drinking, through playing in creation, through watching rivers and hiking mountains, through the mundane of just meeting each other. For We will experience the reality of the kingship of Jesus perfectly and wholly. We see this deep reconciliation even in chapter 3 of Matthew where Jesus is baptized. Jesus has to convince John the Baptist to baptizing. John's like, no, 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 I, I, you know, I, you know, I'm not even worthy to, to untie your sandals, much less baptizing. And, and what does Jesus say? Look, man, you got to baptize me because it has to happen. The Old Testament has to be fulfilled and somebody's got to do it and you're the guy. And he finally baptizes him. And what happens? The heavens open up and you hear a voice. Behold, this is my son and who I'm well pleased. And this is the baptism that we have received since we live on this side of Pentecost. This is our baptism. It's called the baptism of sonship. We are adopted. We are united to Christ. And the, and the voice of God the Father is speaking over us. Behold, this is my son. You are my daughter. And with you I'm well pleased. Why? Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The king reigns, 
and he reigns supremely. And when Jesus is on his throne, all of creation rejoices and gives him glory. That's the hope that we have. And it's in that context, therefore, that we have to hear the words, go and make disciples. We have to get it out of our head that it's some type of program. And that's, my, my, that's what I want to do this morning. So the first thing that we got to do is ask the question, do you believe the gospel of the kingdom? Are you a believer? And, and you say, well, of course, I became a Christian. No, are you a follower of Jesus? I'm talking right now. Let's, let's illustrate this a little bit. As we all know, uh, the Grizzlies have made it into the playoff. And John Morant, Wednesday night, how many points did he score? 47. Are you kidding me? 47. There you go. 47 points. The most, not just of any Grizzly player in the playoffs, the most of any Grizzly player ever. I am loving watching the Grizzlies. I love the Grizzlies, and I don't care if I offend you Laker fans, all right? <laughs> now, why don't I care? Because I love the Grizzlies. We all promote what we love. I don't, you don't have to be convinced to tell somebody else about that which you love, do we? No. And you could finish this point. <laughs> You know where I'm going, but listen, I'm not doing this. I'm not saying this so that you'll feel small and insignificant and horrible and walk out of here, oh, oh, it, not only do I not make disciples, but I don't love Jesus. No, that, hear me, hear me, stick with me. How do we begin, how do we make disciples? How does downtown church become a disciple-making church? We fall madly in love with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We get so excited, not about a sports team making a playoff, but about Jesus making all things right and everything good, and this world being better than material, experiencing things that, that we've only barely dreamed about and really seeing the ultimate fulfillment of our greatest desires being fulfilled in ways that we cannot even think nor have even imagined. That is what Jesus does. That is what Jesus has to offer. And that is what we are missing when we stop following Jesus. And we all do it. You see, the, the reality is, is that, you know, you don't become a fan and then stop. You become a Grizzly fan. You, you know, there are those people. Oh, yeah, I was, I've been a fan. I started being a fan when they first came to town. But, I, you know, I've kind of lost steam. And that's totally understandable because they're a sports team, all right? Of course you're going to wax and wane, all right? We all do. We all have. You say, oh, no, I'm the diehard. Okay, whatever. Um, we all do. We all have. But what is a fan? It's not someone who's made a decision to, to, to accept the Grizzlies. It's somebody who says, I'm a Grizzly fan, and I can tell you about last night's game, and I watched the game to the very end. That's a Grizzly fan. I had to drag into church this morning. That's a Grizzly fan. I, I, I didn't come to the first service because I was dragging because I stayed up so late watching the Grizzlies, and I couldn't go to sleep till one in the morning, and so I came to the set. That's a fan. Are you a fan of Jesus? Do you see? Make the connection. 
Are you a fan of Jesus? This is what John was confronting uh, when, when the Pharisees, the religious people, came out to, to, to judge him, really, and to hear what he had to say. And this is what he told them in chapter 3, verse 7b and 11, through 11. You brood of vipers. There you go. That's a, <laughs> that's a slap in the face. You bunch of snakes, that's what he's saying. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He's really inviting them to something better. You can bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. You hear what he's saying? He's like, God doesn't need you to be a disciple. He doesn't need you to make disciples. He can make the rocks speak better than you. That's what he's saying. It's not because he needs you. It's because he is inviting to you, inviting you to something glorious, inviting us to participate in something we were made for. And if we don't do it, yeah, there's judgment. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. But I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. What's the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is to go from being an orphan, to go from being an enemy of God, from go from being living life alone apart from God, to going living life understanding and knowing and, and proclaiming and living out of the glorious reality that you are an adopted son or daughter of the King. It's your whole new identity now. Oh, I'm not alone. We, it, it's our whole new identity identity. And friends, he is worth giving up everything to have. He's worth it. Listen to his invitation. Eugene Peterson um, did an interpretation of the scriptures. It's called The Message. And I want you to hear some of the Beatitudes in light of his translation. Listen to this. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. You hear that? You're blessed when you're at the end of the rope. What does religion say? You're worthless when you're at the end of your rope. That's not what Jesus says. You're not listening to the voice of Jesus. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God, when you're hungry for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. He's better than anything you want to feed your soul. He will feed, his, his food is better. His drink is better. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of your being careful, you're full of care, you find yourselves cared for. Do you feel cared for by God? You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. The only qualification of being a disciple of Jesus is nothing. But few have it. Do you feel like you've got nothing to give God? You are at the place of absolute glory. <laughs> You're at the door 
to experience more than you've ever experienced before. Stop your good doing and come to Jesus. Give yourself to him. Eugene Peterson again, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Come to me. Because it hadn't been me that's burning you out. Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Do you feel like you're living freely and lightly, or you still feel worn out, exhausted, and burned out? Oh, it's, you're not following Jesus. You're not following Jesus. That's not coming from Him. Why do we come to Jesus? Because your neighbor needs you to come to Jesus. Listen to chapter 5, 13 through 16. Let me tell you who you are, says Jesus. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. You're here to, to eat the meal of Christ and go convince other people they can come to the table too. You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret keeper. We're going public with this, as public as any city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to, to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine! Keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Dear friends, are you a follower of Christ? How long has it been since you have been a fan of Christ? How long has it been since you've really been with Him? And that leads to our second point. Are you with Jesus? He ends with this promise, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end. Friends, the question is not, is God with you? The question is, are you with God? Did you hear this promise? And lo... I'm with you. Do you feel the presence of God? Are you overwhelmed by the presence of God? Do you know what happened to people that got into the presence of God all throughout Scripture? They never were left the same. They were radically transformed. How long has it been since you've been with Jesus? This is what we're being called to. Dallas Willard said this. He said, we are made to run on God. Let that sink in. You're not made to work to run on work. You're not made to work to run on a vacation. You're not made to run on a new outfit. You're not made to run on bigger biceps or accomplishing the goal of a marathon. You are not made to run on anything but God alone. And everything else is just a taste of that. Our problem is we make that which we, um, is to, to give us a taste of God, God itself. 
And we mustn't do that. We're made to run on God. When we start running on God, we'll start making disciples. We are created to go all in with Him. So God is present, waiting for you to be with Him. He's waiting to fill your soul with bread that lasts and satisfies. And the only way you can make disciples of Jesus is being a true disciple of Jesus. Have you been with Jesus lately? Pete Cesaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says most of us are using God to run from God. In other words, you can literally come into this gym <laughs> every time we meet and never be full of God. In fact, you can think, because I was here, I've encountered God. You can use it to harden your heart to Him. You can take His Word and you can be a faithful student of His Word. You can give uh, um, uh, verse and chapter, chapter and verse of, of the most common and, and popular verses in Scripture. You may even be able to quote it and give an outline and still, still not open your heart to God. You think the devil doesn't know the Bible? The devil can quote the Bible. You're not called to quote the Bible. You're called to be with Jesus. You're called to encounter Him. This is what He invites us to. Listen to um, Ronald Rollheiser. Don't even know who that is, but love his quote. It's not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, wow. more distracted than non-spiritual, more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, the shopping mall, the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church, and I would say than we are in Jesus. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major roadblocks today with our spiritual lives. Friends, you don't need God for what He'll do for you. You need God for God. You need to meet with Him. This is the, it, it, it's like coming to an incredible dinner and just stopping by looking at it and not ingesting it. Who would do that? That's crazy. And that's what we do with God. That's what we do with Jesus. A.J. Swoboda said this, It's not as though we don't love God. We love God deeply. We just don't know how to sit with God anymore. Dear friends, Jesus said, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that's not, okay, that's not just some Bible verse to paste on our window in the morning. That is something to live in. Jesus is with you right now. And he is inviting you to be with him Open your heart to Him. If you want a practical way to do that, um, just the most recent book I've read on this is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, C-O-M-E-R. And at the end of the book, um, excuse me, you can go to his website, John Mark Comer, C-O-M-E-R, and he has four or five different practices so there's a breathing practice, there's Lectio Divina where you take a portion of his word and just 
let it wash over you in silence and let his word speak to you and pick out parts, whatever it is. But it's a way to get you into training. It's like, you know, I used to be able to dribble a basketball pretty well. But I am shocked. Every time I'm on the little, in the driveway uh, at my grandkids' houses and they're playing basketball, I am shocked by how much I've lost. My mind thinks I'm still where I used to be. But I'll take a cut and the ball will go that way. And I'm like, what happened? I used to be able to move, man. I used to be able to bring the ball. What happened is I'm out of practice. So if all you can do is four minutes with God in the morning, if you can take one scripture and just, before you're distracted, then do four minutes. Do three minutes, do two minutes, do whatever. But here's the invitation. And believe me, the devil in your flesh and everything around you is going to push against this. The devil wants more than anything for you to be more busy than to be with Jesus. More distracted than to be with Jesus. You are going to encounter resistance. But you've got to press through. Because there is glory on the other side. There is beauty. There is life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you believe that, believer? Believe it and come to Jesus. And then thirdly, discipleship is just telling others what God's done for you and what God is doing for you. And you say, well, wait a minute. I know. I know. He says, you tell everybody to obey everything I've commanded you. Okay, okay. But that is not outside of the context of the rest of Matthew. So let's walk through Matthew. I've done the first several chapters, but let's look at, uh, let's say, chapter 8. What does Jesus do? He heals a leper. What was a leper? A leper was like someone who had HIV back in the day when HIV was HIV. It was a social stigma if you had HIV. And, um, and, and this was a leper. I mean, if, if, you were a, if you were clean, according to the ceremony law in the Old Testament, and you came in contact with a leper, you were no longer clean. They made you dirty. This was this person's existence in society. You feel ostracized. You feel left out. You feel like you're the weird one in the group. Well, that was the leper, and it was a reality. It wasn't just in his head. And Jesus healed him. And you know what? He had to be told not to go tell somebody. You hear what I'm saying? Do you see where I'm going? The leper had to tell somebody. When Jesus cast out the evil spirits from two different men in chapter 8 into that herd of pigs, you know the herdsmen ran into the city and, and told everybody, and then the text says, and the city came out to see this Jesus. You see, why? Because they encountered him. They encountered him. You go to chapter 9. Um, some friends bring a paralyzed man, and there's all these people. They can't get him in the house where Jesus is, so they get on the roof. They hoist him up to the roof, and they cut a hole, and they lower him down. And you remember what Jesus said first? Behold, I forgive your sins. And you can only imagine the, the guys upstairs going, wait a minute, what? forgive his sins? We, you know. And then the religious teachers are like, who are you? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is like, yep, and? He forgives his sins. He said, okay, so that you'll know the Son of God has power to forgive sins. Hey, rise, get up and walk. You think that man didn't go tell somebody? You think he didn't go make some disciples? Why? Because he had a program? Because he had an outline? Because No, because Jesus did something for him. 
And he had something to say. And then uh, we see a woman with a bloody discharge. Uh, Twelve years. I mean, it, that is so graphic. Twelve years. Everybody knew this woman had a bloody discharge. How would you like that stigma and that reality? And Jesus heals her. You didn't think she didn't tell people who healed her? You think she didn't begin making disciples? So I don't know much, but I know this. He healed me. And maybe he'll heal you. <laughs> That's discipleship. That's it. Oh, Richard, but we have to be able to argue the gospel and we have to understand science. No, you don't. All you have to do is go tell somebody what Jesus did for you. Because, and, and we read in another report, a ruler, he brought a ruler's daughter back to life. And then we read this in 926. And the report of this went through all that district. People couldn't shut up. Why? Because they saw Jesus do something. We keep going. Two blind men in chapter 9, and then we read, And Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. They couldn't, even Jesus couldn't shut them up. They're making disciples. He healed a mute man. You didn't think that mute man's first words weren't praise be to God? You think his first words to his family was not, hey, you got to come see. It wasn't, oh, look, I got healed. No, it was Jesus healed me. you got to come meet this guy because he is different. He is life. Chapter 12, Jesus heals a man with a withered hand. This man could not pick up two things. He had, could only use one hand his entire life. And all of a sudden, he can grab a piece of bread with both hands, a loaf of bread. He can do things. He can build things. He can... You think he didn't go tell somebody who healed him? You see in my point, Jesus feeds 5,000 men in chapter 14, plus women and children. So let's just say there were twelve to 15,000. There were probably more like 20,000. He feeds them with five loaves of bread, uh, three small fish, and they have 12 basketfuls of pieces of bread left over. You didn't think those fifteen to 20,000 people went to tell somebody what they saw and what they encountered and who fed them. This is disciple-making. Chapter 15, he healed so many diseases and conditions that we read in chapter 15, 31, that, they, that the, the community glorified the God of Israel. And I know what you're going to say. What has Jesus done for me lately? <laughs> oh my goodness Jesus hadn't healed my hand he hadn't taken my hadn't taken my sorrows away oh dear friend you hadn't been with Jesus you hadn't been with Jesus he's done more for that he's done more the, the reason that we have all these accounts is, is that Jesus might, might he gives a fast forward to the new heaven and the new earth he gives solid tangible evidence of what the new heavens and the new earth are going to be like there are going to be no withered hands there's going to be no muteness there's going to be no blindness there's going to be no COVID-19 there's going to be no emotional depression and psychological depression there's going to be no poverty there's going to be no anything because all things will be made new but friends that's your king and he's alive. And he has uh, baptized you. If you've been baptized, you've been baptized into the baptism of adoption. You have been adopted. And what this means is that Jesus lived every ounce of every piece of the law that you haven't and you won't.
Did you hear that? He, every I, every T was crossed, every piece of the law, every point at which you broke it, he kept it, not to shame you, but to stand in your place and do it for you so that he could go to God the Father and say, hey, I know, I know you know Richard. Ah, but you know me better. Here is my account for Richard. That's the gospel. That's the kingdom gospel. And then he goes to the cross and he says, you know, Richard, make my name Richard and condemn me to hell. And he exhausted hell for me. And now through faith? Are you kidding me? I don't have to do anything. Through faith, all I've got to do is have an open hand. That's it. Through faith, he declares me righteous and forgiven and a child of God, a son of God. God the Father loves me no less and no more than his own son, Jesus. That's the extent of the work of King Jesus. And one day, and that's just the, oh, And you know what that does? That brings me into a world one day, someday, where I will eat at the table with Jesus himself, and I'll drink wine, and I'll eat bread, and I'll eat fish like I never have before, and I won't worship the wine, bread, or fish, but it will just make me more and more in love with Jesus. (laughs) I will see mountains, and I will see rivers, and I will run, and I will experience community and love, and oh, I won't won't worship the mountains and the rivers and the valleys. I I will worship Jesus. Because everything is for him. Everything is about him. And that is a message that we have. But dear friends, we can meet him in the morning. We can meet him at noon. We can meet him in the afternoon. What is he doing for you? Is he not encouraging your soul? Is he not giving you life? Is he not giving you hope? Is he not helping you in the midst of your skepticism and your doubts? Then you aren't meeting with him. Meet with him. I was convicted of this this morning. I'm out walking, and I wish I could show you the picture. I could have, but I didn't send it to Matthew. Uh, Matthew only needs about 30 seconds, and he'd have it up there. But I was walking by the river at about 5 this morning, going over the sermon, and the sun starts coming up, and I sent the picture to Rachel. I showed people that, and they said, we want to see this, but I'll show you after. The river looked like a, it looked like a lake. And the sun was reflecting off it. And you know what I heard? I heard Jesus saying, oh, I'm with you always. That's my son. That's my river. You know what I did? I love you so much. I set this up for you. I knew you were going to be walking by. And look, look at what I give you. And in that moment, I wasn't worshiping the Mississippi River of the sun. I was worshiping the God and the King who made it, who reigns over it, who, who, who schedules it. But you know what? He'll be there tomorrow morning for me too. Am I going to be walking by the river tomorrow morning at 5 or was it just because I got to preach this morning? You think that's not a temptation as a preacher? Oh, that's a temptation as a preacher to tell you to do it and then me not do it. And yet what does Jesus do? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Go be with Jesus. Go meet with Jesus. May it be your life, and then go tell somebody what he's done for you. It's not your job to convert people. It's your job to tell people. And tell them about the love. You see, the church has been so good about telling the world about his law and who they think he hates. 
and condemns. But we have not been good at giving the world Jesus. Go give the world Jesus. May downtown church give the world Jesus. A Jesus that we know. A Jesus that we just came out of his presence from. A Jesus that we're going to go right back in into his presence. That's our prayer for downtown church. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you open wide the invitation. Forgive us. And let's just take several minutes just to confess our own sin. Think about how long it's been that we've really ushered ourselves into the presence of God. Think on that. Think of what I preached, and I'm just going to give us some several minutes of silence to do just that. Confess sin, to receive grace. Go to your God. our sins. He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the very righteousness
Break revival out by your spirit, oh God. Do it for your glory and our good. Receive our worship as we continue in it now.